Hi, I'm Todd Herman, and I am a peak performance coach, mentor, and trainer to pro athletes, Olympic athletes, leaders, and entertainers around the world. And on this episode of Curiosity Bites with the man with the plan, Dove Baron, Mr. Dragonfire himself, we're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about judgment. We're going to talk about the paradigms that people live through. We're going to talk about winners and losers. We're going to be talking about, you know, finding the enemy, conquering the enemy, being okay with the enemy. So many other more subjects that rattle around between the six inches of people's ears. So I hope you stay tuned and dive in. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. We're here with my guest, Todd Herman. He is the author of The Alter Ego Effect. He is a best-selling author of that book. He's also runs a high-performance organization in which he works with uh, the best of the best, whether those are athletes or entertainers or uh, CEOs or entrepreneurs or whatever it is, uh, and really shows them how to up their game, their mental game to uh, beyond anything they've ever really considered before. Um, however, I want to say that this show is uh, co-sponsored by the Awesome Music Project, theawesomemusicproject.com, connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental health. You can find out more about the Awesome Music Project at AMP and the AMP Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. All right, we are back with my guest. Todd Herman, uh, we have been really digging into some pretty meaty stuff. And, and where we sort of finished up there was talking about arrogance and, and certainty and uh, what it is that people are looking for in the three C's of uh, confidence and certainty and clarity that people look for. And one of the things we ended up on there with just talking about at the end was this sense of living in a pablum world where everybody's trying to be liked and how Todd was explaining there about looking at people like Gandhi and Jesus who were clearly pretty decent blokes um, who weren't loved by everybody and some people wanted to murder them. Uh, one of the things that in the work that I do when I work with leaders, um, particularly leaders who are now embracing speaking as part of their world is to talk about the enemy mm-hmm. and the power of the enemy and the importance of recognizing, because a lot of people will say, you know, who's your target audience and, and what's their pain point? Well, very important. Um, however, who's the enemy? Yep. Who is the, what is the hill you're willing to die on? Who is the enemy you're willing to go after? What's your thoughts on uh, examining and potentially even embracing the enemy? Does that, does that correlate for you? Big time. Um, naming the enemy. I, mean, I talk about it in the book, right? Yeah. You know, I'm in the book I'm talking about, you know, the alter ego is actually, you know, the other eye or trusted friend within. And it's the model that you use inside of this massive visual cortex that we have to anchor you to a new idea of how you could be showing up so that the qualities that are actually within you can be brought out. And instead of being trapped inside of the, the you that you define yourself as right now, right. right? And it's not about being fake and inauthentic or any of those things. It's that understanding that we as human beings, we're constantly evolving. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to give people tools to help them evolve faster, right? Yeah. And the alter ego is one of the ways to do that with, with someone. And, um, but it's always in, 
but at the same time, there is that voice that shows up inside the shadow within the enemy within the villain that's there. Um, and, and it's there, I think for many people, as you're about to, as Joseph Campbell would say, enter the cave. So Joseph Campbell is one of my great heroes. You and I've talked about him in the past as well. Um, wrote the hero with a thousand faces, create the hero's journey model and map of, you know, the journey that every single mythological kind of story goes on, or even every movie goes on. And there's this moment for everyone. And for the person that's listening right now, that there's some place in time in the future could be now where you need to enter the cave, which is meaning you need to finally take action towards resolving the conflict or the, you know, uh, pursuit of the goal that you have. And, and it's in that moment, only in the moment when your identity is going to be challenged, um, your idea of who you are is going to be challenged. Your values are going to be challenged in a moment. Um, where would an enemy ever show up? Why would an enemy show up when you're about to, you know, drink a glass of or drink a cup of coffee? Because there's nothing that's, you know, challenging about that. Um, unless the coffee meant something different to you because you're trying to make a change happen and move away from caffeine. Right. So right. the enemy's only going to show up in that moment. And it's because the enemy only stands guard at the gate. The only enemy is the gate to the cave. And so it's like, isn't that interesting? That's one of the responses that I give people because I like giving people a tool. So anytime I find myself judging myself or telling myself that's not me, I go, oh, isn't it interesting that that thought came in my head? Because the thought isn't me. We all have thoughts. It's like clouds passing through the sky. The cloud itself isn't the sky. It's not the meaning of you. It's just a freaking cloud. And here's what we know about clouds. They go away. And in my mind, the cloud is passing through. The thought is passing through. And my, my thought in my own head is, oh, isn't it interesting that that thought came into my head? I wonder whose head it's going to pass into next. Because here's what I know with human beings. After doing this work for freaking, you know, so long, tens of thousands of hours um, on the field with people, we're all thinking the same thoughts most of the time, mm-hmm. right? It's repetition. You know, mm-hmm. it's society. Um, it might be variations of it. It might be better degrees of quality of the thought, but that they're there. People judge themselves. And so that's, that's one of the kind of ideas they have, but I love the shadow. And I think more people need to step into the shadow side. And what I mean by that is I had a friend and I've got a friend who has for the longest time had this idea that people who have Lamborghinis or Ferraris or McLarens or some fancy car are people who are just showing off. And here's what I know. That's not true. Mm-hmm. That's true for some people who want to hate on that group of people because they don't have it, but that's not true um, for everybody. And so I said to him, and he was someone who had sold many businesses and he had had the wealth now to be able to. And I said, here's what I think you should do. I think you need to step into that very thing. And I, need you, I think you need to go and pursue and purchase something like that. And he was like, no, that's not me. And I said, no, that's not the you. That's, that, that's not true. Like, that's not you forever. So no. I said, you're going to. So he did. He actually went out and he purchased um, a super fast exotic car. And he did with it exactly what most people are going to find when they, when they step into the shadow. He turned it into a mechanism <laughs> of powerful transformation. Because now what he uses it for is he uses it as a bit of an anchor device because he came from a troubled past. He was in. Um, you know, arrested for, you know, a few different things. And uh, now he does talks to troubled youth. He brings in his super fast exotic car and those kids come in to see the car and to be able to sit in it. 
but he's yeah. able to give him the message. So it's yeah. like, you know, but you stepping into the shadow, what it's not doing is it's going to change a lot of the DNA value set that you have, right? You're going to use that device as a transmutational you know, energy source to bring something new into the world. So, you know, villains and shadows, we, if we don't have conflict in our life, then there's no story. Every story has to have conflict. And, and you bring up something that I think is really important here because I, I'm very clear in saying there are, there are two enemies. <clears throat> there is the enemy that's external. Mm-hmm. There's the enemy internal. And the enemy internal is the one that will morph the most. It, trans, it transmutes. Yeah. And you can never get rid of it. There's, yeah. a, there's a, I, I, you and I talked about the movie, uh, revolver. No, I don't think so. Oh dude, dude. <laughs> okay, mate. That's the movie for you. You will love revolver. Do you like Guy Ritchie? Wait, is revolver the one where the person bends the bullet around a person nope. or not? No. Okay. Nope. No. Nope. A revolver is a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. Um, and it's all about ego. Hmm. It's absolutely brilliant because he's trying to quieten his own inner ego, but it's a gang- British gangster movie as Guy Ritchie movies are. And if you're looking at it from a guy, from a Guy Ritchie gangster movie, it didn't do well. It's a massive cult hit, but it's yeah. not a hit with in the box office. And, and it, and there's a point where he's trying to stop the, the voice, the enemy in his head. Right. Hmm. And, and he has claustrophobia and he has to get in an elevator and he's in this tiny elevator. And as he's going through the elevator, he, he finally gets calm. And as he gets calm, that's, and by the way, that ego voice is, is manifest. You see it, right? It's him, yeah. but it kind of looks a bit crazy and it's screaming at him. And suddenly it goes silent. There's, there's this, and he stands in the elevator and he just has calmed himself and it goes silent. And there's this couple of seconds. And then all of a sudden you hear, ah! you thought I was dead, didn't you? <laughs> and I just love that scene because that's what it's like. That the enemy, enemy inside will mute and transform and do all kinds of things, but you're never going to get rid of it. And, yeah. you, and it's actually part of the fire. It actually helps you to move forward. But yeah. as a... Um, as a brand, you need to understand what's the external enemy and you have to define mm-hmm. that enemy. And one of the reasons that people don't succeed is because they're not willing to define the enemy. So, um, and you can have more than one. Like, so yeah. one of mine and one of yours is uh, personal development uh, dinglings who drive me fucking mad, who have so much shit they've never dealt with yeah. And now fixing everybody else and, and creating way more problems than help. Um, and then there's, you know, they create all this group thing that's going on and mm-hmm. it's, Oh my God, I, I want to scream. It's the re I was in that business and mm-hmm. I left it because I, I called it the recycling business. I'm done with the recycle. That's what I said. I'm yeah. done with the recycling business. You go, what do you mean? I'm done recycling Tony Robbins students and, and this person's students and that person's students. Nothing wrong with those guys. I'm not complaining about them. But if you're recycling through each of those programs, you're not getting it. Yeah. It's not practical. And you actually need to work one-on-one with somebody, whether that's a therapist or a high-performance coach or whatever it is. I don't care. But 
the the general personal development world like you i'm throwing rocks at them that yeah um, it, and it, i think it's important to do that i'm throwing rocks at uh, at uh, the authentic leadership realm now because you don't understand what it means yeah yeah it's and it's like, so again it's um if you ever read the if you do end up reading the book from thomas Sowell, you know the tale of two visions um you'll see just why that you know, understanding that you have now as someone who's a practitioner and helping people, mm -hmm. you know, resonates so much. But um, yeah, to your point, like my, my enemy, you know, goes to, I am, I hate bad ideas and bad ideas spread faster because they're typically wrapped in something that's glossy and sugar-coated but there's absolutely nothing to satiate the appetite. I tell people all the time, I spell, I sell meat, potatoes, spinach, and kale. And I will, I refuse to put a nice shiny wrapper on it for you because here's what I know. It's going to attract a whole bunch of people who aren't going to be committed to the actual change. The people who are committed, they understand spinach, kale and meat and potatoes because that's the stuff that separates the winners from the losers. Even that right there, Dove is a good example. I'm not supposed to say losers nowadays. No, no, no. There's winners and there's losers. Okay. There are hundred percent winners and losers in life. Mm -hmm. And now does it mean you got to be a loser forever? No, not at all. Cause you can, you can change, but um, there are 100% winners and losers. And, you know, I, I did this on stage at a panel discussion and someone who is a very famous influencer, you know, sort of life coachy type brand, you know, took offense to that. And I said, yeah, no, but that's because you work with people who are extraordinarily average human beings. That's not me. You know, you, you <laughs> no, you do. They do. And they think that, and they, and then because they, they live inside of that bubble that they think that that's real. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, and, and yet the thing that you're selling them is that they're going to become extraordinary human beings. And yet the very inside of your dome of paradigms that you wrap around them, it is impossible for them to wrap or to get above it because it's invisible plexiglass, mm -hmm. they, they're going to bump up against it. And if they stay with you, you know, they're never going to get the proper paradigms to pull themselves out of it. So, you know, I get it. You know, you, you want to be careful with your words and, you know, not make someone feel bad, but you know, what actually drives people to a lot of action pain, sometimes getting confronted with the pain of something. And it's yeah. like, are you willing to affirm to yourself in this moment? I am a loser. Cause that's someone that I'm interested in talking to. Mm -hmm. In this moment, despite all of the opportunities I have around me, I'm a loser. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is so powerful in, again, confronting the shadow, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things around why I, again, one of my enemies is positive thinking. Jesus Christ, stop positive mm -hmm. thinking. It doesn't help you. In fact, I will always say, people say, well, well, what do I do? I say, I have a process, a mental technology that I teach, and, and it's this, and it's called consequential thinking. And they go, what's consequential thinking? It's what you'd call negative. <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? I want you to go to this, see where it goes, and keep taking it to the bottom of the ditch. And when you get yeah. to the bottom of the ditch, take the, take the shovel out of your pocket, dig and see if you can get to the real bottom because until you go, okay, I'm done with this shit. You are not getting out. Mm -hmm. You're going to become 
average. An average is the best of the worst and the worst of the best. There's yeah. a peak of average, and you can look down on the other peons and say, well, at least I'm better than that. That's why we like reality TV, because we look at people who are screwed up and we go, well, at least <laughs> we're not as screwed up as them. Yeah. That's why it's popular. Yeah. But instead of that, look at why do I, how do I lift my game? What is the, what is the key here? Yeah. Like, where am I in the way? Do yeah. I have the balls to admit I'm losing in a winning game? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm driven by that every single day, every day, every day. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating. Every single day I look at myself and I go, you're playing too small. <laughs> every day I'm like, come on, Dove. There's a bigger game here, mate. There's more people that you need to touch. There's lives you need to reach. I'm, I'm not doing it at the level I need to do it. And people say, well, what's the level? I don't know. But I know I'm going to keep aspiring. I, I'm not looking at done. Done <laughs> is a ridiculous thing anyway. Do you find that in you? Do you find that in the people you're working with? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of nuance around the positive thinking side of things. Like, you know, I would, um, your, I think the frame that you're talking to people about is the kind of Pollyanna only look at the positive side. Oh, absolutely. I think, the, you know, That's there's exactly a great, there's a great book called the upside of the dark side. Um, and it goes into just how really peak performing individuals, top leaders look at the dark side of things. And there's a big upside of the dark side. Um, whereas for the longest time, it's, it's a great, it's a good example of his book written by someone who's an actual practitioner and, you know, in their experience of working with people who have transformed themselves, they're willing to, you know, step into the dark side, right? It's the classic idea of entering the cave yep. sort of thing, you know, however, there is a way and there's a mindset of approaching this, like, as I have an attitude of positive expectancy, meaning I expect myself to be able to have the abilities and the skills, whatever's thrown at me to act act or react and respond in a positive way. Right. Um, and I think that's definitely, you know, we, we share the exact same experience on, on, or, you know, philosophy mm -hmm. on that side, but yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more around just the, the importance of the pursuit and the willingness of going after the hard, hard, hard stuff. There's a great quote. I've shared this many times. Joseph Campbell's famous quote that most people, you know, ascribe to him is follow your bliss. It's his, you know, it's uh, so many people talk about it and they, you know, and again, that's a, that's a perfect example of what something that sounds like cotton candy and candy apple and it's tasty and it sounds like passion and all these paradigms or ideas that people love to, you know, um, talk about. And, but it's a misquote. What he actually said was follow your blisters because in your blisters, you'll find your bliss. Very different meaning. Very different meaning. Follow your blisters because in your blisters, you'll find your bliss. Now to carry this down onto the field, anyone who's ever worked out before and picked up, you know, a 25 pound, 35, whatever pound weight, and you start doing bench press with it or arm curls, whatever. And if it's the very first day, what happens? Your hands hurt right? Calluses. Because yeah, you get cal. Well, you get blisters first, blisters right? First, yep. Right. And so what do most people do? Oh, my hands hurt. I don't want to pick. No, no, no. Here's what you do. You pick it up again the next day. Even if your blisters pop, that's the secret. If you are someone who's a winner versus a loser, if you are willing to continue to pick up the weight so that your blisters pop, because then they'll become calluses. That's that right there is the separating point. And I've seen it with 
you know, even in pro sports, there's a lot of average, average mindsets in pro sport. And it's, it's, it's the separation between the elites and the, you know, guys who are going to have a good five year or four year or three year career, make their money and go, or, you know, lose their money and go more often than mm-hmm. not. Yeah. So no, no, no. It's, are you willing to pick up the weight every single day, even when it hurts? Yeah. I think that is that. Do you think we've become lazy societally? Well, we become obese mentally. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think I, just, you just look at, you just look at the world, you know? So, you know, your physical way that you look is a manifestation, a lot of the way that you think too. Now, do I think that obese people are unsuccessful people? No, because I have met some freaking powerhouses in business and other where in other areas that were, you know, Luciano Pavarotti is a very good example. I would never call him a loser, but in stretch of mm-hmm. imagination, but as a pretty good rule of thumb in life is, you know, the obesity epidemic that's happened is a pretty good microcosm of the obesity epidemic that's within people's minds. Yeah, as well. I, and I would agree with that because I am very much against not fat shaming people. Um, because, yeah. um, because not because of any other reason than you don't know why. Sure. That's all. I don't care yeah. what it is. Just it, uh, you can you can call you you can call me anything you want, but f- know why first. If you know mm-hmm. why and you still want to keep it, I'm okay with you having that opinion. For sure. But because I, I have a mate who is um, who was 400 pounds. He got down to about 310. Um, he's six one, right? So that's still yeah. a, a good weight. Yeah. Uh, and him and I are sitting in English Bay one day, and we're having. A, we're having a chat and hanging out there. And as we're sitting there, um, you know, I said, man, you just, you know, you've lost so much weight. You know, he's looking so good. And he goes, yeah, but he goes, that guy there, the guy walking past in shorts and, a, you know, jogging outfit. He goes, I'm guarantee- I guarantee you he's looking at me thinking fat, lazy, slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And I also guarantee that if I put him on a treadmill next to you, you'll kick his ass. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I know. So, I mean, like I couldn't keep up with Steve. He would yeah. kill me. He was in incredible cardio shape. He just didn't look it. Yeah. So it, we tend to judge everything on the surface. And I, and, as is, and I think that's the laziness. That's the laziness of a social media world. That's the laziness of a 24-hour news cycle is nobody goes past the surface. So as you said, they buy these ideas of follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> we don't bother. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, you're supposed to do what you're passionate about. No, actually, if you follow your passion, you're probably going to end up burned out, pissed off, or frustrated. You need to find something a bit deeper than your own passion. Because I can tell you, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, if I followed that as a passion, I'd be working at, at Victoria's Secret as the manager. Mm-hmm. That's, not my, that's not my life path. Yeah. That was a passion. It's transitory. Um, and so I, 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 I love that you brought up this idea of mental, emotional obesity. And, and because then that says, okay, well, if, if I'm mentally and emotionally obese, how do I get in shape? Yeah. Mentally, emotionally. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a very powerful, powerful. And here's one way. I'll give you one way. Yeah. Um, so um, Jim Rowan, one of my other mentors, he was, um, concerned that after about maybe six months or a year of us working together, that I was 
going to become a, a second rate version of Jim Rohn, which I, which I was going into. And, um, sure. you know, cause he has a very specific cadence. He's got, he's just, an, he's one of the greatest eloquent and poetic speakers that, that there is that's out there. And so, um, he said, you know, as you develop your own thought leadership, and again, because I was, there's a big difference between thought leaders and influencers, which, mm-hmm. you know, we can have a topic or conversation about that. But when you're consuming other people's leadership stuff, um, you need to have a um, journal out in front of you. And on one side, you have yes and. And on the other side, you've got yeah, but. So it's yeah and. So you're adding to that person's idea. So whatever the idea on leadership, if there's a reading of leadership and then, yeah, but it's like, yeah, but that's not actually how it actually happens out there sort of thing. Um, so, you know, that's how you start to develop. You gotta, you gotta reconcile the information that's coming in and you gotta be able to journal it. Like if you're only someone who consumes books, you're just a thought repeater. There is nothing that you're doing that is going to, allow you to see yourself or think of your own leadership thoughts on the subject. I have a, a quote that I wrote a hundred years ago. And the quote was, um, the purpose of books is not to fill you with wisdom, but to inspire you to your own. And it's that same thing as like, I want to be catalyzed by what I see, what I learn, what I read, but not limited to it. And I see so often people in the space, our space, who really are just regurgitating rather than expanding. We have a visitor. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. No, they're <laughs> okay. They're they're leaving. Hello. Um, yeah, well, she can't hear because I got the headset oh, on. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, this, is the, this is the world that we live in right now, right? So we have um, small little interruptions from our little ones around us. That's all right. But, uh, but no, you're exactly right. And it's, I, there is so much trend. I mean, because I was, I was falling into that trap of, you know, you know what, depending on which week you were talking to me back when I was in my early 20s and which book I read that week, that was my opinion that week. And it wasn't until I started to, you know, mature and, you know, really follow the, you know, advice of Jim, where I started to really develop my own ideas around what leadership was. And I started anchoring them way more in my own personal experiences and where I came from. And, you know, I, I, that's why, that's why Jim and I were actually very much, he was a good mentor mentee relationship because we both came from our families were the same size. He grew up on a farm in Idaho. I grew up on a farm up in Alberta. So we could just, we could have a meeting of the minds way faster than other. He didn't have to explain things to me. We just got it um, together. So that's why he was so cautious about making sure that I wasn't going to become a, a second rate version of him and, and make sure that I truly developed into Todd Herman. I, I met Jim Rohn in 87, mm. 1987 when he uh, joined uh, what was the name of the MLM that he was in? Uh, um, cause that's how, that's how Tony Robbins met him too. Yeah. Uh, not, not neutral life. Um, it was before that. Yeah. Amway. Was it Amway? Might've been. Well, he was involved in so many cause he was sort of the harbinger of the industry. Exactly. Uh, how did you come to meet him? How did you come to have him as a mentor? 
Banff, Alberta, Canada. My uncle Ted um, was getting an award for construction person of the year. And uh, he's a very, you know, successful uh, developer in the construction world. And he um, was getting this award. So uh, uncle Ted is my mom's older brother and where I was very, very close with him. And so he asked if I wanted to come with him. So I did. So I'm sitting at the head table with, with my uncle Ted and uh, this gentleman sitting next to me started taking an interest in me. I had just won this kind of um, hospitality award up in Canada and I was about 21 at the time and just asking me all these questions. He was asking me questions that no one else had ever really asked me questions that I had pondered, but I didn't have people around me to ask the questions like, you know, you know, what's your, like, what's the vision of what's the change that you want to make in the world? Or, you know, what are you committed to changing? What do you, what do you, uh, and he asked actually the, the villain, the enemy question, but like, you know, what really, what really angers you? Um, and, and cause he knew that that was going to be the spark. And that yep. was, I've all, I've used that question with many people. So anyways, this guy's, and I had no idea who he was. And then, um, just, and, and he's, I'm trying to ask him questions, but he just keeps on peppering me. And then, um, just as he's about to explain who he is, uh, they say, and you know, now we'd like to invite up, uh, Mr. Jim Rohn tonight. He's our after dinner speaker. And he gets up and just drops like 55 minutes of the greatest stuff I've ever heard in my life and sits back down. And I was just like jaw dropped. And I was like, I want to do what you do like that. That's amazing. And he gave me a couple, couple things to do. He gave me three specific tasks. Um, and he said, listen, when you get done these things, here's my number. Just give me a call and um, maybe we'll have a conversation. So Monday rolled around. That was a Saturday. Monday rolled around. I completed all three of those tasks by about 1.15 in the afternoon. And they were, because um, I said that I wanted to go and start speaking on the topic of um, building great cultures and teams in hospitality. Um, and this was just a little bit pre the peak athlete because this all happened around the same time. And, uh, and he said, okay, well, you need to go and, and register your business. You need to go and um, set up a bank account and you need to call two people at least that would bring you in that know you and would, you know, have you, have them, have you talk to their teams or staff. Cause I had a good network now cause I'd worked in hospitality for a few years. So I did that. And, um, I did, I, I booked one, one person and I didn't know what I was going to go talk to their team about, even though I had, you know, I had my philosophies. Again, say and, yes. Yeah. And he called me back the very next day cause he was still traveling at the time coming back the very next day. And he said, all right, you're officially the person who's the fastest at, um, taking the challenge. And, uh, so that just led to another conversation and on and on and on for there. So how long, how long did he mentor you for? I say mentorship and, you know, there was definitely about six months there back in 90, 99 that it was a little bit structured like that, but mm -hmm. he was a very hard person to pin down. He was very bad at getting back to phone calls or, or emails back then too. So, but then we stayed in touch for several years, but it was more about that, that first kind of six months. I sent him a recording of one of my speeches that I did. And um, <laughs> it was like, I'm getting judged by Jim Rohn. And he, and he gave me this phenomenal piece of advice where he said, Todd, you're someone who likes to speak in proclamations. And so what you'll do is, because by then I started doing mental game stuff. And he said, mm -hmm. what you'll do is you'll stand in front of a group of kids and, um, and parents and you'll, you'll say how mental toughness is one of the most critical things you need to develop, you know, if you want to get to the next level. And as you get to the next level, the importance of mental toughness or the emotional side of the game becomes even that much more important. And then he said, here's the problem with that. 
of course you're going to say that because you're the one who's selling mental toughness and emotionally resilience training or emotional resilience training. Instead, what you need to do is you need to take someone who they already respect and get them to say what you need to be said. So the example would be, um, hey, has, did anyone happen to see the press conference with Michael Jordan last week after they won their sixth championship? And one of the reporters asked him, you know, Michael, what is it about you that allows you to show up in really, really big games? Because there's other people out there who are just as talented as you are, but you seem to rise above the fray. And he said, well, it's easy. For as much time as they spend on their skills and all the physical part of the game, I spend that same amount of time on it, but I spend the exact same amount of time on my inner game, my mental game, and my mental toughness. And that's what makes me the world's best, world's greatest basketball player to ever live. And, um, you know, again, example of that's not arrogance, that's freaking proof. <laughs> uh, and so I said, you know, I used that quote. Now he's now, I'm getting him to say for me, what is yes. an important idea or belief that I need those people to have. And anyways, that was, I mean, I, I have reshared that story thousands of times to other people who are trying to become better messengers, better communicators is, you know, one easy, simple rule is share a quote from someone who the audience respects already. Like, you know, if I'm standing in front of a group of people who don't love or respect Oprah, I shouldn't use Oprah's quote, even though Oprah could be a universally loved person. Not everyone does like her or they don't know enough about her or something, but I'm not going to use an Oprah quote in front of a bunch of athletes. I mm-hmm. should use an athlete quote in front of them or a coach quote or, or a coach quote. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's <clears throat> that is again knowing your audience, right? I mean, you've got to know your audience and you've got to know who you're speaking to, again, who will they respect. And I think, you know, it's I mean, that's obviously very good advice is is leverage the authority of the other person. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, this is the problem again with thought leadership <laughs> in uh-huh. the way that we, we, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, an influencer, you know, yeah. all these terms. It's like, Oh my God. You know, I mean, I, I, I ended up having a fight with a guy who will not speak to me now. And, and a guy, this is a guy who honest to God has made millions more than I have ever made. Yeah. The young guy who became a coach, um, who had a background in internet marketing and was very good at it, took his coaching of life coaching into that world and has made millions. Um, and, and he said to me, um, what do you think about this world? And I said, honestly, I am really, I'm about here with all you clowns who, who have read five books and and help five of your friends and now you think you're the best thing since sliced bread like go get some blisters go mm-hmm. really do your own like face your as you would say face your own dragons face your own demons go into the darkness if you haven't been into the darkness I, honestly this is my opinion it's not the truth if you've not been into the darkness you're never really there you're not really at your soul you've not found what i call your dragon fire you've not got in touch with that flame that will not be put out yeah it cannot be put out until you enter that cave of darkness i know that your work is about high performance which is about moving forward Mm 
Therapy is about looking back. I want to talk about the bridge between the two in the next section when we come back, because sure. I think it's so important um, that I, I don't think that one is separate from the other. Sure. Uh, and, but maybe we have a variance on which, uh, which is more important at, at any given time. Sure. All right. Let's come back in a few minutes and we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> 